Do you want to know what I've started learning today that'll just make you feel awful? No. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to PHP Ugly, episode 88, recorded December 21st, 2017. Today we talk about Apple being sued, saying farewell to Putty as Microsoft adds OpenSSH to Windows 10. Uber's bug bounty problem, ugly sweaters, Bitcoin cash, and a whole lot more. Here we go. The 88% campaign. Nine billion farm animals are raised and killed for food in the U.S. each year. 88% of those are chickens. You're listening to PHP Ugly episode 88. Coincidence? I sure hope so. No, no. <laughs> please don't, sure please don't so. eat us. <laughs> Do you go vegan something? I should, after hearing that. Nine billion farm animals, that's horrible. Well, they shouldn't be so tasty. I spent way too much time researching 88, because normally Eric does this, and unfortunately he's out sick today. And everything I can... You shouldn't put quotes up when you say unfortunately. That seems like you're not sincere. He can go back and watch this and see that I did not do that? Bastard. (laughs) (laughs) The other 88 I I saw was a $20,000 88-inch TV. Mm. That is ridiculous. Use my Bitcoin money. Get that. Uh Uh-oh. What are you up? Like 60 bucks now? Uh, Yeah, now it's going back down. Oh, no, what happened? It's, It's been a really bad day. Oh, I thought I did something wrong. No, they're they're calling oh, it. Oh, uh, I didn't. I haven't gone on air. That's what I've done wrong. Boop. They're calling today the corrections day for all of the uh, coins. Oh really? How bad has it gotten? Uh, uh Bitcoin is only up seventy five percent for the month. Only up seventy five percent. Yeah, yeah. It's down fifteen percent for the day. Oh my gosh! It got up to almost twenty thousand. Yeah. It got over 20,000. No way. I have not been watching it. It's at 14,000 right now. That's crazy. Yeah, if you if you were buying on the, the South Korean markets, it was up to 23,000. Wow. See, I'm still treating it like a long-term investment. I don't watch it every day, or I try not to. I have a, a, a very small amount being auto-bought every week. I'd switch that to Ethereum if I was you. I'm doing a little bit of both. A little bit of Bitcoin, a little bit of Ethereum. It's a bummer that so. you didn't get on the uh, Bitcoin cash. Holy crap, Ethereum is at 700? Yeah. It's and down Bitcoin to cash is at Bitcoin cash is at 2700? Yeah, if you have any Bitcoin cash, if you if if you had Bitcoin oh, I, uh, I in do. August, yeah, if you had Bitcoin when the fork occurred, then you have Bitcoin cash and you need to dump that ASAP. I'm sitting here looking at what we have, and I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, so Eric and I take a, a little bit out of Diego Dev every week, but very little. Why, you think Bitcoin Cash is going to just tank here? Oh, yeah. No, Bitcoin Cash is dumb. I agree it's dumb, but it's still there. For now. But so is Bitcoin, right? Yeah, <laughs> but Bitcoin's, Bitcoin's going to stay around. Yeah, hopefully. And 
everyone's mad at Coinbase right now because they added Bitcoin Cash all of a sudden without telling anybody. They just said, hey, look, Bitcoin Cash is on our exchange now. And then they started manipulating the graphs to hide certain large transaction pools. And What do you mean? What do you mean they were hiding things? That doesn't seem Coinbase-esque. Yeah, that's why people are really upset. <laughs> Do you use Coinbase? I did, until now. Really? Yeah, I'm going to be taking all my stuff out and uh, switching over to uh, Gemini. <laughs> I'm assuming. I was wondering why you added this card to my list: the buy, sell, and send Bitcoin Cash. Yeah, so <clears throat> there's not a lot that I can see. But there's a lot of people talking, which is always annoying. And mm -hmm. they're implying that this was more than just some kind of accidental or poorly planned release. That this was somehow malicious or nefarious. That, that Bitcoin cash was added all of a sudden in order to manipulate the market. Do you really believe it was to manipulate the market, or was it just to add another feature to Coinbase? I mean, that's it's how not they're going to make their own add. money. But, I mean, that's your opinion, right? Obviously, no, I mean, Bitcoin Cash was off, forked for a reason. Yeah, but based off of all the charts about popular coins and and how difficult it would be for them to implement any different thing, um, and the the early activity, like the moment that it happened... Because there was no press release that this was going to happen. It just did all of a sudden. And then immediately it started out at 8,500. And people were dumping transactions on the market left and right. There were, there were huge sell orders, huge buy orders. Um, probably the saddest one was somebody who bought like 20 Bitcoin cash at 7,900. Which... I don't know why you would do that. That's that's it's, crazy. Yeah, but it's just it's 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 weird that it happened all of a sudden. It's been on the down ever since they released it. There was a huge chunk of transactions that people considered suspicious that got removed from the graphs so that they weren't being represented on Coinbase. If you looked at the Coinbase graphs, you'd have to know what you were doing and pull up GDAX and all that stuff. So weird, yeah. weird stuff. Have Have you looked at that GDAX site? Yeah, I thought I got a cataract like instantly. <laughs> I just it's. I kept I, I kept reading about how to how to buy Bitcoin for basically zero fees or very low fees compared to what Coinbase, and mm -hmm. that's still owned by Coinbase, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it's just it's ridiculous. So hard to follow. Definitely yeah, not as user-friendly as Coinbase is. There's people who are like, I've got $60,000 on GDAX right now. And I'm like, I can't, I can't imagine that. I can't believe that. Why would you put so much money on something that I... I, I mean, I understand if you can read it and if you can understand <laughs> what it's doing and where it's going, that's great. But I, I cannot at all comprehend what it is. So GDAX is kind of like, to me, it's like day trading on the stock market. Right. If, if you're looking to buy and sell quick and you're analyzing all of that data, that's the place to be. 
Yeah, but then you get like a drop like today where it goes down 25% and everyone says, why'd it go down? And no one knows. How's PHP Ugly gone from PHP to becoming a cryptocurrency podcast? That's what I'd want to know. Well, it's the future, man. Yeah, that's true. I'm doing cryptocurrency-based PHP stuff. Or PHP-based cryptocurrency stuff. How is Buscoin going? Uh, I've run into a new problem. That? <laughs> that my my motivation um, has sort of allowed me to choose a lesser product as my as my core as my foundation. My my brother is a very smart guy, and I got to talking with him for about an hour today, and. He said, well, why isn't? Why don't you put it on the Ethereum network? Why don't you do it out of Ethereum? And I said, well, it has to be CPU-bound. It can't be GPU-bound because that's part of the structure of how I want people to interact with it is that they can't buy their way into it with expensive video hardware. you know." Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he said, well, why don't you use the same algorithm but put it on uh, Raiden? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he says... You know, the the Raiden network that's launching on testnet right now, you can uh, use your own mining algorithm to mine tokens out of Ethereum networks. And and just so you, have, you just put the algorithm that you're using now on top of Raiden and then generate tokens. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and he says, well, you're smart and you'll figure it out. And I said, can you do it for me? <laughs> no, no, I can't. It must be nice having a, a brother like that that can help you along. Yeah, you know, he's he's a family man. He's got three little tiny ones, and so he's keeping himself really busy right now. But uh, it is nice because he's he went to college, got his CS, and then worked for uh, big companies as a big guy and is a big name in his area and very, very well-educated. So... I can turn to him for a lot of, like, is this a possible thing, or how does this work? But, you know, but he's also, he also wants to motivate me. He also tells me, well, you can just read it and learn it. I know you're able to do that, so just do that. And I'm like, yeah, this part's calculus? He's like, yeah, well, I took calculus. Now you have to take it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right, speaking of family, I'm moving on from cryptocurrency and that whole deal. Family matters. You've got stacks behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. This past weekend, we had our Diego Dev holiday party. Oh, yeah, I missed out on that, being in Colorado. Should have moved away. You may have been invited. Probably probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Possibly. Um, Actually... You could have, because we did have one person cancel last minute, so we would have said, hey, Thomas, want to come out? <laughs> um, it, yeah, it was really nice having all of the Diego Dev contractors out and their their families, and it was just a nice time. Enjoyed hanging out with everybody. And you guys had a pretty a, uh, sweet place, too. Yeah, we, we held it at the hotel that we were having Wave PHP at next year, and they provided us a nice little room. Provided, we paid for, and then... Because they had a cancellation, they bumped us up to a little bit bigger room, and it had an outside terrace, even though nobody went out there. But just a nice time, hanging out with everybody, you know, just kind of meeting families and talking. It was really nice. 
Nice. You've got some new people too. We do. We actually uh, have a have one person that lives up in Berkeley, California, that we flew down just to to kind of do face to face and let him be a part of it, which was really I miss, nice. I miss that name now, Kevin Keith. 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 Yeah. It's nice when you're when your clients are super happy with your contractors. It makes life really nice. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Although we had the that, other, we had that one client who absolutely loved me in a in a weird and uncomfortable way, and kept trying to That's... communicate with me offline from you guys. That that's happened more than with just you. Found out one of our current clients that contacted our lead developer on their project, trying to hire him away from us. Oh, that is a no-no. Yeah. What do you do about Luckily. that? Do you do you yell at the client? Actually, I, we haven't mentioned it to him just because the, the person that was involved came to us and let us know what was going on, and they weren't interested, which was nice to hear. Um. We are making sure that in future contracts we have some sort of clause in there that if they try that, there's some sort of financial penalty. It's like, yeah, you, you can hire so-and-so, but it's going to cost you. You know, you have to pay them more than what we're paying. Plus, you know, you're going to have to pay us for that convenience. Unfortunately, we did not have that in place prior to this client. Hmm. Lesson learned. So you mentioned the stack behind me. My office, which is already small as can be, is full of Christmas gifts right now. It is a pain. I can't even move around. Yeah, Merry Christmas. This is our this is our final episode for the year. What? Well, okay. So the 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 next one we will record this year, but we'll release in 2018. Huh? See, that's what I was thinking, but Eric called in lame early to that one and said we just won't be doing it. He could have said that about this one, and we're doing it. That's true. All right, then. Then we'll have one more episode this year, with or without it Eric. Re- but it won't be released till 2018. So this is the last <laughs> one being released this year. We'll go with that. So yeah, we'll Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> yes. So I've I've got a ticket here. I'm surprised you didn't bring up. We we were barely moving off of that. I really want your go opinion for on this. Apple confirmed that newer versions of its firmware are slowing down older phones on purpose. They've admitted to that? They've admitted to it. That is absolutely ridiculous. They they say that it is timed out to preserve battery life on the phones and that it's entirely for the customer's benefit. How is that for the customer's benefit to make their phone that they're probably super happy with obsolete? Like, I'm trying to get my wife to upgrade. She's on the iPhone. Is it the 5 SE or is it which one's the SE? Five or six? I have, I have no idea. Whatever I that don't... SE model was, it was the last one of the the smaller one before they started making all of them bigger. And she's convinced that she doesn't want to go to the bigger model right now. And to know that they're going to possibly be slowing that down, where she's happy with it as is, she just doesn't want to spend the money on upgrading to the latest and greatest. You know, she's not a techie. She doesn't care about that. She just, she has a phone that works. The only reason she would consider upgrading right now is for the camera quality. Yeah. But see, then I'd get a, then I'd get a Pixel 2 if I was worried about that. Yeah. Having, well... I have the the Pixel 1 
I kind of want to upgrade, but I've had it for less than a year at this point, so I can't justify buying it, even though the the newer hardware and the newer camera is supposed to be so much better. But I, I don't think I could convince her to go from iPhone to Android right now. I had her on Android probably five or six years ago, and then she went iPhone, and it's a little bit easier for her, so she likes it. Actually, you Ugh. know what the one the one feature she really likes, and I think this is as stupid as it sounds, the one feature she will not leave Apple for is a stupid toggle switch on the side that makes it silent. Like, that makes sense. Well, I can understand that. Yeah, but yeah, I like that. But that being the thing that makes me not change phones is crazy. Yeah. Well, so the way that this is going to help consumers is that now everyone who has an older phone can sue Apple, which would sure make me happy. So there are there are already, despite the fact that this news was announced yesterday, there are already lawsuits today against Apple for doing this. Shocker. Yes. You mean lawsuits and in the United States? Never. Apple will absolutely crushingly win this lawsuit, too. I, I, I don't understand how. If they're doing something software-wise to slow down the phone, how can you win that? Easy. You just say, yeah, that's part of the terms of service. Mm, I don't know how you get away with that. It, you, you do it in America. Yeah. Voila! Well, you, you do it in the Trump era White House. Ah, oh, it's been like this since Clinton. That's crazy. Yeah, it's. I I purchased the phone. It should work that way. Even if they don't like me not upgrading. See, but them. that's what I was saying about YouTube being removed from the Fire devices. Is that if I bought it that way, who who is Google to remove a feature? I don't know. I don't know. I don't agree. I I put a ticket. Oh, I put just the worst ticket on here just for you. And you weren't here last week. And it broke my heart. What Hodel, ticket is this? Hodelmoon.com. H-O-D-L-M-O-O-N.com. Makers of cryptocurrency ugly sweaters. Nice. It, it is terrible, and just. I I want to see these. I'm waiting for them. Come on, load up already. I I got a beat. Oh my gosh! Wait until next week. I'm going to an ugly Christmas sweater party tomorrow or Saturday. So we're recording this Thursday, December twenty first. December twenty third. I'm going to an ugly Christmas party. Ugly Christmas sweater party. And if I don't win, it's a rigged system. You have a winner? Oh, I have a winner. Is that what the hard hat behind you is for? No. That'd be nice, though. God, you can see that much detail? I need to turn my camera off. It's directly behind you. Oh, okay. No, it's for my uh, my kid. Has We have a firefighter outfit and a, a policeman outfit. So ah. he's 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 in a dress up right now. He's in a the the hero thing. So it's not a it's not a construction hard hat. This will be a firefighter's hard hat. Gotcha. As far as he's concerned. I my kids are in the uh the sort of 
don't want toys anymore phase of being teenagers, which has made things incredibly easy because toys, it's a crapshoot. Uh, you never know if they're going to like it or if it's going to be educational enough or if they'll play with it any more than one time after they get it. Now yeah. it's like, I've got them. I got three echo dots. Shut up, echo. Shut up. Echo. Stop. <laughs> no, you say cancel. Uh, my daughter's echo, name cancel. is Alexa. So I have to use an alternate keyword to trigger her. I thought you changed it to computer. I did. But it got I remember you talking about that. It was all the rage when it first came out. You were like, it was, this is the, the way to go. The detection on it was way, way worse. Really? Yeah, you'd end up just yelling computer at it, and it wouldn't recognize you. So do you find yourself yelling at the Echo devices in general? In nah. front of your kids? No, nah, I, only, I only really use it for when I listen to NPR and when I listen to music, when I go to bed. Okay. But, but now with the, dots, I thought you had, a, I thought, I thought you had, had your whole, wait, you, last episode, you talked about having the, the outlets that you can control from your phone. You haven't hooked your echo device up or Alexa up to control those for you. No, because they're all timers. They all have built in timers that are synced to some NPM server or NTM or whatever it's called. And as soon as I set the timers up to what I wanted, I never had to interact with them ever again. Hmm. Interesting. So I I have a mixture within my house. I have both timer and ones that we turn on and off manually. So for my living room, I turn those on and off manually. For my Christmas lights, those are set on a timer. And then Do you I have still have like a wall switch, timer. though? Yes. But we don't use it. Because... Actually, no, on a couple of them, they're not on a wall switch. They're on completely different outlets now because I have those available. So do you just manage them through Alexa and your phone then? Yes. Yep. Like my office right now, I actually have, there's a, there's a little piece of plastic under the light switch to keep it in the on position because I don't want anybody turning it off even though they still come in. They flick that down to turn the light switch off. It's like, no, I have an Alexa right here. Cancel. I, I have an Echo device right here that I turn my office lights on and off and I can change the intensity with. I have something perfect for you then. What you Can't need... Can't wait to hear this. What you need is a kosher light switch cover. A kosher light switch cover. Tell me more. You know that uh, the in the in the strict dogmatic Jewish culture, you cannot use you cannot work on Sunday. Anything considered work. Mm -hmm. And light switches fall under that category. You got to be shitting me. So, this is why I hate religion. <laughs> really, operating a light switch is considered work. I hey man, I don't make it up. I just I just visit the website that sells light switch covers for kosher purposes. So there's a light switch that says, "Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna alienate so many people in this episode." It's called the toggle magnet light switch cover. It has magnets that are attached to the screws on the light switch, 
and very elegantly cover up the light switch. <laughs> are, you, are you serious? <laughs> I, I, I swear to God, I saw this. I saw this last week on a on a life hack type thing where the life hack was if you have home automation and need to disable a light switch these kosher light switch covers are three dollars and they look quite nice <laughs> we gotta move off of this because i'm gonna say something i'll regret <laughs> i will say something that i shouldn't say <laughs> i just love this thing i just love the idea so much it's but it's cheap it looks nice and it will prevent you from accidentally using the light switch on stuff that has a smart device on it (laughs) but you're still doing the same thing you're just doing it through an app instead hey i'm just trying to do you a mitzvah here no don't don't (laughs) I, i have stories i could tell you later of other things that happened today and made me laugh I, anyway, I love that so, Eric's gone, and this might be our most offensive episode. <laughs> it might be. I, usually he's the offensive one, but no, when it comes to that, um, let's move on. Let's go back to... <laughs> let's go back to Hodel Moon. Hodel Moon. <laughs> so, these oh, these sweaters, now me. these aren't... Please these save aren't, me. From what I can tell, these aren't like a lot of the other sweaters where it's screen printed on this looks to be actually a stitched pattern but they're not when it comes to ugly sweaters they're not that ugly maybe you should put how much they cost on the sweater then because that really uglies it up holy crap i just saw that <laughs> now you say it 60 dollars for oh. 60 dollars um for all sizes you know uh and they, I, I had to check, they do accept Bitcoin and Litecoin, but not Ethereum. Really? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh. So I happen to know that Tipsy Elves is here in San Diego, and they're famous for their, their ugly Christmas sweaters. They're on Shark Tank. And if you go to their homepage, you can get 10% off if you give them their, your email address. And to close it, it says, sorry, I have to check with my mom first. With the I lowercased. Ugh. What the... Why is the I lowercased? I mean, it's funny until I see that. And it's like, capitalize the I for crying out loud. It's not that hard. Yeah. You been doing any uh, cool programming stuff lately? Programming? What's that? Now, you, you've like disappeared from all of the chat rooms... That we share together. Well, so I figure I don't disappear. you're real busy now. I don't, I don't disappear. I only respond in most of the channels when I am mentioned because I do work. You know, I, I, I don't get caught up in game talk or anything else that, you know, any random things unless I'm needed. Well, there's you know, a picture if, of if an I'm, avocado. If that I'm not yesterday. busy... If I'm not busy and I happen to be in that channel, I see something come up, I'll I'll start participating. But for the most part, unless I'm mentioned, I don't do anything. But one of the the most recent things I've done, and I'd like an opinion on, is I was coding against uh, an API, and I brought it up with a client. Hey, this could be 
a separate library. It could be an open source library. And we we went back and forth with pros and cons. Do we make it open source? Do we not? So I decided to make it a, a separate library and include it via Composer, even though it's still a private repo at this point. Sure. And I'll let them I'll let them make the decision later. Do I, do you make it a an open source project? What is your opinion of that? Because that does add complexity. If I want to make changes to the library, I now have to obviously take care of that, open a pull request, commit it to that repo, go back to our other project, which is a huge monolithic project anyway, and then do a composer update on that package. I ran into this when I inherited Iron Q. Mm -hmm. And... I was not familiar with how difficult the workflow is for maintaining a library like that. And it sucks. But. So, wait, before you move on. So, with IronMQ, are you talking about libraries that are specific to IronMQ? Or are you talking about libraries that are depend on IronMQ? Just a library in GitHub that is listed on packages that people use. But why is that more... That doesn't seem like that big of a pain in the ass. It was a pain in the ass because I was not good at testing, and the only way to do it correctly is to write tests for everything, for every method, every option, every possible use case, and Mm -hmm. to use those tests to manage the functionality um composer makes it way way easier because composer you set the dependencies and when you want to run it and test it you can make sure the dependencies are there for it and it in in testing it you see if the dependencies have now changed and failed and that makes things really nice but just the overhead of like my use case for iron mq was ultra simple but the library that I inherited has all the functionality that I never cared about. So I had mm-hmm. to start figuring out how does that work, how to test it. But I also have another library that is a private repo. And that works all right. But whenever you onboard somebody new or you have to format a system or there's some kind of change where the password gets lost... Now you have to make sure that that's in correctly and make sure that your production environment has it correctly. And it uh, it can be a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think if you know Composer well enough, though, and if you're comfortable with Composer, there's no problem with that. It's I mean, not I'd, a pro- it's I'd not love to be able to box se. off more of my projects like that. Yeah, it, it really comes down to... so. I coded against this library a few weeks ago in a very niche use case following their documentation. We ran it for a couple of weeks, and when we signed up with them, and granted, this is not a cheap library. The the client is paying, I want to say, $1,600 a month for access to this API. Wow. Okay, now yeah. I know what API you're talking about. I'll be interested to hear your guess after this episode. You so, didn't listen to last week's episode then, did you? I did. I believe Eric openly talked about it. <laughs> then we're talking about two different things. Anyway, so they're they're paying a, a crap ton for this API. When 
in negotiations of the pricing, they said their response time was 0.05 seconds. And I even said, there's no way they're accounting for any sort of latency or, you know. 0.05? Yeah, yeah. And that's got to be just their processing time on their side. So in my coding, I I started tracking the, the seconds that it would take. And granted, most of them are half a second to one second, but we saw outlier, outliers two, three, three and a half seconds. So then we go back to them like... So that's like 3,000 no times faster. Yeah. Or 3,000 times slower. Or slower, slower. So we're like, no, this there's a problem here. And they're like, oh, well, we have... You should be using the newest API. The client came to me and said, they're telling us to use the latest API. I'm like, I am. According to their documentation, version three is the latest. I'm doing... It's the only version that offers this feature anyway, so I have to be using that. Uh, oh, no, there's a completely different URL, completely different endpoint that they say is faster. Is there documentation for that API endpoint yet? No, there's no documentation. See, I just <laughs> I did the same exact thing where I had a company. We were doing an integration with them, and they were telling us how popular they were. And I pulled up their API, and I went, no, you're not. You're clearly not popular. Your your API has misspellings in the endpoints. Mm-hmm. You can't be popular if that's. Nah. And they said, "Well, there, that's the old API document. We have to use the new API document." And it was the same document with one line edited, and every endpoint was now broken. So their their original documentation returned everything as a CSV, and then the new one returns it as JSON, which makes more sense. So yeah. So I, I I added a new class to the this this library that consumes the JSON and then massage the data back to their old API format so that I didn't have to change really any of the code on my project side outside of the URL since the URL is different. But everything else now works. But it does seem to add a lot of complexity now maintaining two things. A library via that is now brought in via Composer. Yeah, so what you have to do is you have to open source it and, and in the comment section say that you wrote this library because the company refused to do it themselves. <laughs> you have to guilt them into maintaining their own software. That's not a bad point. But it did make me think of APIs that I have written of how I need to document it better, how I need to provide edge cases, which well, see, I don't my... really do. My lesson with APIs was documentation first. But even documentation first, I'm I'm thinking now that I'm using this library, I want to be able to test. So I need a sandbox. They don't offer that. Inst- instead, what they did was they credited they credited the account with a hundred thousand extra API hits for the first month. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, so but, you could do the work for them. But now I want to be able to test bad information. If I send you X, I want to get back some sort of bad response so that I can test against that. <laughs> so yeah, and it's I, making I, me I, think of all of these issues that I probably have in APIs I've written. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the classic problem is everything I've written before literally today is the worst thing I've ever written. I keep looking at my old code and just going, God, I was I was insane. How did this ever still, work? Why did anyone hire me? But I still feel that way. I, I, I'm working with newer developers. Not newer. I'm working with people that have been 
added to client projects that I'm a part of and I'm feeling dumber and dumber every day, which is great because it gives me something to strive towards. But, you know, at one point I felt like I was top dog and now I feel like I can learn a few things, which I like doing. Do you want to know what I started learning today that'll just make you feel awful? No, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I want to hear this. C. What's wrong with C? It is daunting going into something like that. I don't know if you caught the the WebAssembly discussion that I had in the IRC channel the other day, but I've started looking into WebAssembly, Mm -hmm. and it's awesome. And it will eventually replace JavaScript. Not quite yet. By not quite yet, I mean like, you know, 15, 20 years it will. Because <laughs> there's going to be nothing new in the next 15 or 20 years to replace WebAssembly? Probably not. It'll probably be WebAssembly 2, WebAssembly 3. Really? Yeah. Um, currently, WebAssembly does not have access to the DOM, so that's where JavaScript really is still necessary. Um, and... The the compilers for WebAssembly aren't really there. Well, let's back up. What is WebAssembly? This was the big conversation. This was the big confusing thing about WebAssembly for me that I never quite understood. It's that JavaScript evolved out of a really ugly state. And it evolved into the thing we have today, which is nice and fast... Node is good and quick, but it's gotten about as fast as it can get because JavaScript runs in three different modes right now. So do you know what a a JIT compiler, just-in-time compiler is? Mm -hmm. The key concept is that when it sees something happening over and over again, it compiles that thing. And in JavaScript... If you're doing loops over things, if you're doing constant, the same operation constantly, it'll optimize that. It'll compile it and run it out of the compiled version. But JavaScript is loosely typed. Mm-hmm. So if it runs across an exception, then it will have to destroy the compiled version and decide whether or not to recompile it. And that's slow and causes problems. So there's the the inline interpreted where it's sort of executed as it's read and then there's the JVM with the or the just in time compiler which compiles things that are looping and then there's the garbage collection process and all of that slows javascript down quite a bit. What webassembly is is a fake CPU in a virtual machine. So It has all the classic instruction sets of a regular CPU set to a standard that is implemented on a per-browser basis. So Chrome has its own, Safari has its own, uh, Firefox has its own. And it's really, really, really close to machine code. Huh, really? So, yeah. So what you do is you write your code in C or C++ or Rust and compile it into rust wait 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 <laughs> R- yeah you don't know what rust is obviously not <laughs> rust is the new 
up-and-coming <clears throat> machine code language uh, pushed by Google, I believe. Okay. Um, Rust-lang.org. And it's attempting to improve on C++ with clearer syntaxes and more JavaScript-style notations. So you compile so it you, into... So you're, you're telling me browsers support this now? That's the big change now, is that just recently all browsers, all modern browsers have said we have a WebAssembly engine. Um, I.e. or Edge or whatever it's called now, included? Yeah, everything out there. And that's good, but it's still just the engine is there. So it's like having an engine in a car without a transmission. So you still have to bind to the engine using JavaScript, which does this thing that they call trampolining, that these mm -hmm. the data keeps changing states between which engine it's in, and that slows things down. So for, for small things like uh, managing DOM objects, it's still very slow because it has to pass information into JavaScript, which has to parse the DOM, which has to perform the action, then pass the result back into WebAssembly. But for big things, like what you would say, uh, you know how Adobe for a long time has wanted to have a version of Photoshop that runs on the web? Mm -hmm. Then in this case, it would run almost as fast as if it was running on the native CPU. If you wrote Photoshop in WebAssembly, it would be boom, boom, boom. So the big thing with WebAssembly is that now you can take these intensive CPU applications, complex loops, and you can optimize them just like a regular C application because it's only allowing strictly typed languages and it's only allowing a specific instruction set that is well known and well covered. And then the next version is going to introduce DOM interactions, um, shared memory arrays, which is a really important thing for threaded processes. Uh, a lot of complicated stuff that I did not understand until this week and drove myself crazy learning. So you think that JavaScript cannot keep up with WebAssembly? You think, you think WebAssembly will take over? I think JavaScript is, is the way you access a WebAssembly API in the future. So if you want to if you want to blur if you want to execute a Gaussian blur on an image, then you'll take the image, pass it to the WebAssembly code. WebAssembly will pass it back into JavaScript and then render it to the page. Sounds like a and lot of work. But that's to start with. I mean, there's there are so many applications where we used to use uh, Flash because it had its own compiled engine. And Flash was really good at specific things that we just sort of decided we had to kill Flash because <clears throat> it was a massive security risk. And you'll see all new web applications showing up because of this. I wouldn't be surprised to see something like a, a node packages, but for WebAssembly objects, where you could just say, I want something that does image manipulation and pull it in. So it's I'm, I'm really excited about WebAssembly. I'm using it because I need it for doing uh, hashes for Buscoin. Because hmm. it has to access the the memory directly on the CPU. So so are there shims for older browsers that don't have no. those extensions? No. So it just doesn't work at that point? Yeah. 
there there might at some point be i mean this is really introductory level stuff um if you if you look up how long it's been in development it's been two years but i mean two years for a brand new language and they're just now in the last couple months getting integration on the browser there's nowhere out there to learn this stuff there's a really so, really excellent breakdown by a mozilla developer and she just she wrote the best article i can possibly imagine on understanding this stuff but besides that the end of the article says if you want to write webassembly learn c or c++ so why do you think webassembly is being accepted by by browsers versus something else or is it just the fact that they are taking the time to write extensions or plugins to make it work i because it's a standard and it's essentially it's essentially the same as flash but it's being given to the browsers under their control and it's sandboxed it, it actually it reminds me a lot of docker where the way that docker has that direct cpu access mm-hmm. and then and then the application sits on top of it so it's mm-hmm. i i'm not sure what the group is behind it i know mozilla was big on the push webassembly.org so I know Mozilla was a big uh, contributor behind it. And it looks like it's part of the W3C. So it's part of the web standards group. Huh. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's taken off right now. It's, you don't see a lot of stuff that uses it, but you will. And you'll have to learn yeah. it. If you're, if you're a developer in 10 years, you'll have to know it. You'll have to at least know well, what well, it is and ten, how to interact years with is it. Long- Ten years is a long way away. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what you had to say over the next like episode episode or two, as far as what you're learning. Why is it better than the JavaScript? What can we do? But I'm not waiting ten years to learn something new. Well, it's That's it's better sure. than JavaScript because it's strongly typed. Gotcha. So All you right. can compile and optimize it, but it can't it can't interact with the DOM. So don't even try. All right, let's talk more about this in a week or two when you have more experience under your belt. All right. Eric threw on his board something that I find interesting. I I remember, I mean, it's been years since I've used Open or uh, Putty, so I haven't had a Windows client in at least five years, five and a half years since I moved out here to San Diego. But prior to that, the the previous employer I worked for, I had a Windows machine. I was using Synergy, so I had my Windows and my Mac laptop, and I could share a a keyboard and mouse between the two. And on that machine, I had Putty so that I could use SSH. And I guess Windows 10 is now adding OpenSSH to the command line, making Putty obsolete. That's a sad day. I'm... Oh, no, it's not. Putty's terrible. It, It is. It's... But it gets the job done for a lot of people. I work with a with a uh, person at one of our clients now that is a Windows machine user and she loves Putty. Even well, it's the trying, only option. Yeah. Well, I keep trying to get her to, to move towards Docker and using PHP Storm. But right now, she uses Putty, SSHs to a, a remote machine, and uses Vim for development. 
I use for my Windows stuff. I actually use GitHub Console. So if you install the Git the Git GUI stuff in Windows, then you get a right context menu, a right click menu. Mm-hmm. A right click is when you have two buttons on your mouse and you click on the rightmost button. I have a right click area on my mouse. See? <laughs> One of those fancy mice. I can right click too. So uh, I get a menu that says git bash here and that gives me a full Linux style bash terminal that I can do anything from. But it's not a GUI. It doesn't I can't save like my SSH sites that I use. But do you have you, you have access to your SSH and FID? Can you set that up or no? Uh, I think so. Hmm. Then it's similar. I can yeah, I can vim.ssh well, I found that interesting because I remember being a PuTTY user and it's going away. Well, and Microsoft keeps moving more and more towards Unix. Mm-hmm. So they've got this OpenSSH client. They've got the Ubuntu on Windows stuff now. They're partnering with Docker to have native Docker support. Uh, I, I'm curious when... Windows 11 comes out, is it going to have a BSD base or something like that? That'd be interesting. See, I still refuse to install Microsoft or buy a Microsoft machine, mostly because I don't want to support family and friends on their Windows issues. I can throw my hands in there and say, I don't know Windows anymore. I mean, it's changed so much in the in the last 10 years, and me not having a Windows machine allows me to just say, I, I'll i sit here and, and monkey with it, but I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. Luckily, uh, I'm... None, of, none of them listen to this podcast, so I don't have to worry about them saying, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> you don't want to help us? Do this on purpose? <laughs> Just go find a, a Geek Squad or somebody near you. Get it fixed. Don't bother me. God, I'm, I'm getting curmudgeonly. Cr- Crotchety? Crotchety. I'm getting one of those weird K words. Uh, don't worry, it'll only get worse. <laughs> Says the the kid who's younger than I am. Yeah, but my kids are 14, 14, and 15 now. Yeah. And this this is a whole new nightmare. It, it sure is fantastic. Alright, so we're pushing up on an hour here. What do you want to talk about that has to be discussed this episode? It's got to be doom and gloom. I mean, I've got to go. I've got to do a doom and gloom dump. Didn't we do that already? Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> it's been light and happy. <laughs> All right. I got to talk about Uber's bug bounty. Did you hear that Uber got hacked? I did not. They announced quite late that they had paid off hackers who had stolen part of their database. Uh, Hackers had contacted them, said, we stole your database. We can prove that we have the only copy and we can give you the only copy for you to destroy if you pay us. How can you prove it's the only copy, first of all? Uh, Who knows? I mean, these guys were smart because what they ended up doing made what they did actually legal. And made what right. Uber did by paying them actually illegal. <laughs> All right, I need no more now. Have you heard of Hacker One? No, I have not. Hacker One is a website 
that hosts bug bounties. And you know, a bug bounty is when a company says, hey, we're, we're opening ourselves up to pay out people who find vulnerabilities in our software. Mm-hmm. Which everyone should do. Uh, I thought that till I looked it up because it's terrifying. Because they, they are <laughs> right out front with it, right on the front page. They say, for example, hackerone.com slash Uber, here are our S3 buckets, here are servers of interest, here are things that are potential vulnerability gateways. Like, they really put themselves out there. So wait, they're providing that information for you yes. to try that? Well, yes. that's a little, that's that's going a little bit far. I'm fine with saying, hey, is it? I'm, I mean, secret information should never be really considered secret if it's a domain name or stuff like that. But why make it easier? So that the people who are doing it justfully can do it before the people who are doing it unjustfully. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. It, it I'm, tor- changes, I'm torn on that. It changes the the reward values for, for hackers. If it's really hard to get the information, then the information becomes more valuable. If it's really easy, then the bug bounty pays off the person. Well, they were notified that their database was hacked and that a lot of user information was compromised, so they issued a bug bounty for that specific attack and then paid the person who stole all of their data through hacker one claiming that they hadn't been hacked it was simply a bug bounty being collected and paid off so so they knew that they were hacked they were notified yeah and then signed up for hacker one well no they were already on hacker one but the way they were hacked they received an email that said, we want $50,000 in Bitcoin transferred to this address. And Uber said, hey, we'll just call it a bug bounty. Then we don't have to notify our affected customers and we can pay it off legally and write it off on taxes. Ah, interesting. But you're saying really, that the, the hacker chose not to go along with that. The hacker 100% went along with that. Hacker, they, the hacker said, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to open the ticket on Uber or on, on Hacker One, call it a bug bounty, and pay out your highest bug bounty ever in order for us to prove that we've deleted the data. But how does that prove they deleted the data? That's what I keep going back to. So I believe that these people really knew what they were doing and made sure that they had very accurate logs of every <clears throat> step that they took. And proved, essentially, that no one had logged into the server that was used for the attack. And then showed that they logged into the server once they were paid out. And deleted the data and then overwrote the disk with zeros. And then washed their hands and stepped away. Uber's comment on this was very certain that the data had been permanently and irrevocably destroyed. I would never believe that. Being in the... Being in their shoes, I would never truly believe that. Of course, I'm going to put that out as a PR thing. I'm going to to say it's gone. We were hacked, but the hackers were super nice people and and got rid of our data. One of the things about it, though, was that because they did it through HackerOne, they were able to do it very transparently 
without threatening the hackers because the hackers were now operating under the legal umbrella of using a legitimate service to establish a vulnerability in the system. I don't know. It's it's super shady. How long right? do you think Uber has realistically in, in the marketplace? Three years, maybe? I mean, I think the UK just passed a law that they have to be taxed like they're taxis. They, they can yeah. no longer have contractors. It, they have to have employees. They have to pay all the, the same fees that taxis pay. They have to have which the same is, insurance. Which is the wrong thing to do. I mean, the real problem is that the taxi system is an archaic system in America. There's got to be a it's, middle ground. So they they can't be they cannot be looked at as just an app which is what they've been for years now <laughs> yeah it's just but, us and airbnb what's the big deal but, but what you're saying is taxis are archaic and so there's got to be a middle ground there somewhere where taxis are brought back down like they don't have all these fees and regulations against them but at the same time uber is not just an app anymore they're paying well, a, people to drive people around. In America, it's not all these fees and regulations. It's one fee and regulation, which is the taxi license. Uh, for example, in New York, they use a coin system, which is a big physical coin, and it costs $1 million. What? And, and you can have... You're making this up, aren't you? Nope. Nope. This is how it happened. This is how Uber happened. And this is why New York was one of the test beds for it. So the token costs $1 million, and you can have one active taxi per token. So when somebody goes off shift, they hand the token over to a different taxi driver, and that driver goes out on the street and starts doing their job. Stop it. You're lying. Nope. It's it's a limited number of coins. It's a limited number of these tokens that are issued per year, and they are, when Uber started, $1 million per token. I don't know what they're at now. And they're physically handed off from driver to driver on a shift. Uh, either the token is or, or some kind of simulacra that authorizes you to be on shift. Yeah. There's no way. There's so many taxis. You're, you're telling mm-hmm. me every taxi out there has a million-dollar token or something that represents a million-dollar token to be active on the street? Yeah, yeah. That's that the problem. Me. That's why Uber was disruptive because they – destroyed that market they made it completely worthless it it was overnight that taxis got completely destroyed as an industry in new york as soon as as soon as uber introduced its pricing system and it's anyone can do it stuff it was massively destructive to the taxi industry because the taxi industry was so archaic it was so grounded in incredibly old rules where if a taxi company went under they auctioned off their tokens like that was how the whole system worked was you bought tokens from other taxi companies if you wanted to start your own taxi company huh it's it's totally crazy which is why uber worked so well but the problem is the problem is when there's that much money involved in it people get really really upset all right if that's true I'm ready to go to bed because I learned something new today. <laughs> because that is ridiculous. It's not true. I made the whole thing up. 
No, it's, it's really is true. And it's even worse in the UK because in the UK, it takes, I believe, two years of school to become a taxi driver. You have to know in your route every street by heart so that someone can say what the destination is and you immediately take the fastest route there. And then oh. they test you on that for your taxi license. And, and like, no GPS, not allowed to have a map, nothing. You have to close your eyes and say, left on Berkshire, right on Rangewood, left on Birmingham, two but that, miles, that right on Sandalwood. That doesn't work in the real world anymore because of traffic. That's, That's the beauty of G, GPS no, but they nowadays. Know, but they know every possible route. And they, yeah. they work... They know the routes, but you can't predict a, a traffic jam a mile up the road that maybe you're like, I need to exit now or take this route. And then all of a sudden there's a traffic jam. So there's no GPS makes that super clear nowadays. So I think that's ridiculous that it's got to be memorized, but whatever. All right. What's your other doom and gloom so we can get the show over because it's getting late. Uh, two, two last things. We're going to talk about botnets, the, the botnets that threaten our very livelihoods. Um, there was finally a settlement in the uh, Mirai botnet case. Do you remember the Mirai botnet? I do not. I would love to know more. Um, it was a big story last year. Uh, huge botnet able to to take down massive, massive websites in DDoS attacks. Uh, it was used against Krebs on security. It was used all over the place, just a massive, massive problem. Uh, a lot of IoT infections, things like that. And it came out during the trial last week that there were a couple guys who ran Minecraft servers from their dorm rooms. And they wanted to knock out their opponents, competitors, Minecraft servers, so that they had the most stable, best Minecraft servers. <laughs> and to do that, they wrote the Mirai <laughs> botnet. And it became one of the most devastating electronic weapons of the year. Wow. The whole thing was about Minecraft servers. Is there even any money in Minecraft servers? Apparently there's a lot, because... <laughs> They they wrote this just for that. Wow. I mean, how much did Microsoft pay for Minecraft? They Microsoft paid like two and a half billion for Minecraft. And I still don't get it. I, I've tried it a few times, and I just don't get it. Uh, I've seen amazing. I've seen amazing demonstrations building computers via Minecraft, but I still don't get it. I'm just old. Just old. Sorry. I like I like Minecraft. I don't play it, but I like Minecraft. Okay, so what do you like about it? What do you, what do you do in Minecraft that you like? Whatever you want. It's okay, but the then why don't you is, play it more? Because I want to do work instead, actually. Well, and I like Rocket League, <laughs> which you know. Let's not let's, let's not go there. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that later. Um. So I just I I just cannot get my head around Minecraft. I recently bought a Sega Sega. Genesis, I don't know if it's an emulator, but it's the, the, the hot thing this the Christmas. The mini? I don't even know it's a mini. It's something I found at a convenience store that's, that allows me to play some old games, and I guess if you have the, the cartridges, you can play them, but I don't. But it allowed me to play a lot of the old games. 
Yeah, that's it's technically an emulator. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw it at Rite Aid. I'm like, oh, somebody I saw on Twitter recently was talking about this. Let me pick it up now. Still sitting in my garage because I don't game. Yeah. Well, Minecraft is very, very open. It doesn't have any rules outside of the core break blocks, make things. You can make a server that defines a whole new set of rules. So you can build competitive games out of it. You can build cooperative strategy games out of it. You can build almost anything out of it in Java. And a lot of college students do it because if they're learning Java for the first time in college, it's something that they can do a practical application of. So let's back up to me as a non-gamer. I, I fire up the game. Do I have to choose a server to connect to? No, to when, you fire up, when you fire up a game, it just says, hey, here's Minecraft, play some Minecraft, dig around and build stuff. Um, if you want to, you can connect to a server and have all sorts of custom rules. And then okay. it gets more complicated from there. I mean, it, that's the thing is that it starts off so simple, but it can get so incredibly complicated to the point where people are recreating TI-86s in Minecraft. Like, yeah, that's, um. that's, what, we would, that's what we would do. But there are people who also build reconstructions of Westeros in Minecraft, and there are people who build San Francisco in Minecraft, or Rubik's Cubes in Minecraft, or Trap Dungeons, and they recreate scenes from their D&D sessions in Minecraft. It's, it's just a sandbox that so, has such a fundamentally basic rule set that you can do anything with it, like, like a simple machine. But that, I guess that's the problem, is I don't understand how to do those things. So... I, I end up like walking around doing nothing, and I'm like, "This is stupid," and I quit. Yeah, you have to you have to play it for longer than that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem is I don't game, as obvious by my lack of playing Rocket League, which again we'll talk about later because that's interesting. The other last bit is the WannaCry attack that went out. This was the big encrypt your disk, ask for Bitcoin back attack that occurred last year. Or, I'm sorry, that was this year. So the U.S. government has come out and said, hey, North Korea did it. And North Korea is like, no, I didn't. Shut up. And the U.S. is like, we're we're 100% you did, so shut up. So now North Korea is getting into the cyber weapons game. Which, as far as you know. Correct, which I do. <laughs> and how do you know when they're saying no we didn't we'll talk about that later <laughs> there's but aren't there like lots of different attacks like that where they're like hey we're gonna encrypt your disc and you gotta pay us that's not a just the wanna cry is it yeah no it's there's a lot of those but wanna cry was built using an a leaked fbi toolkit for attacking a specific stack in Windows that was vulnerable for like 10 years. So the the big news was basically the FBI wrote the vulnerability, didn't disclose it to Microsoft, North Korea got a hold of it, made it a weapon, and then launched it back on the U.S. Now I want to cry. <laughs> oh, wait, That's... no, I don't, because I don't use Windows. I'm good. That's the big problem. Hey, just just you wait. Your Mac is uh, 
giving away the root password to anyone who asks for it. So you know, one of my one of the uh, one of my previous employers from many many years ago was subject to one of those where they were held hostage. Their disks were encrypted. Oh, they're, na- were... they're nasty. It's like it's gonna cost us one bitcoin, and I, I think at the time it was five hundred dollars for a bitcoin. <laughs> Can you imagine today? You gotta pay one bitcoin. <laughs> Nobody even has one Bitcoin. <laughs> that was a funny thing. Was the the person that was responsible for fixing the issue was like, "How do I buy Bitcoin?" <laughs> you can say you. We know it was you. Nah, I definitely not me. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a a neighbor who got hit by one of those attacks, and they they're a very unlucky family where every member of the family had some kind of massive debilitating disease and all of their documentation for all of their medical stuff was on their computer and got encrypted. And I, I spent six hours getting it decrypted. Wow. <clears throat> so, the, rough stuff. The, the fascinating part to me is they paid out the Bitcoin and got the key to decrypt their system. But I can't believe that it didn't just decrypt half of it, and then there was some other message saying, "All right, you got half of it. Now you got to pay us another Bitcoin to get the other half." For they actually didn't get the key to decrypt their system with the uh, WannaCry network. Well, I don't Someone know if would WannaCry, actually, but whatever they had. Yeah, with WannaCry, you would actually have to give them your IP, and that they would have to log into your machine and decrypt it while you were sitting at your desk. That would be infuriating enough. Like, mm-hmm. I'd be pissed off enough, like, okay, I paid this out, now give me the key. But to have those hackers, like, uh, that I just paid off back on my system to decrypt it. So we should start an escrow for hackers where <laughs> we hook up with a legitimate business, say, okay, you give us your Bitcoin, as soon as they decrypt it, we will give you give the hackers your Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, I think that already exists on Ethereum. It's ridiculous. All right. So We're yeah, you know on. how I love to I love to end on bad news. That's our bad news. North Korea. It'll probably be North talk, Korea next week. At least you didn't talk about our government, because that would be even deeper, darker news right now. So interesting episode running long actually your episode last week with eric was super long this one's not that far off but that was way long yeah so we need to cut this one now you still have a crap ton of tickets in your queue so everyone stay tuned i've got some great stuff saved up for our year-end spectacular with all three all three hosts no it's gonna be thomas by himself trying to clear out his (laughs) queue (laughs) Just slowly removing hosts from the show. <laughs> You're killing us off one by one. I'm not killing anybody. You talked to Eric today. I did. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> He's not dead, I promise. Well, last week was my wife's birthday. We went out, we had a nice night. Sorry I couldn't I, be here, but I was m- I, much happier to be hanging out with her than you guys. I thought you did that like two months ago, though. For her birthday? No. Stop it. Her birthday was last week. I can't keep up with how frequently you celebrate with your wife. It's too often. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? All right. Uh, 
<laughs> this has been another fantastic episode 88. We're almost to the 90s. Ready to call this one quits. I'm John Congdon. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Wrightout. Keep, Keep it, it ugly. ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to phpugly at reddit.com slash r slash phpugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.